This week, we're sharing a special episode from the podcast Making from WBEZ. In this episode, you'll hear the first half of a two-part feature on one of the most controversial figures in pop culture history, Kanye West. We hope you enjoy it. And after you hear about his rise, hear how it all falls apart with the second part of this story by Finding Making from WBEZ. Hey, what's up, guys? I want to have a chat with you before we get into it. What we try to do here on Making is deliver you the story of an icon's rise to fame for all their good and bad. But this figure is particularly tricky. Kanye West, or Ye, as he goes by now, means so many different things to different people. To some, he's a hip-hop hero. To others, he's a divisive symbol of hate. To a lot, he's both. About a year ago, we decided to produce a show on Ye. Then, just a few months later, his extremism turned into violent hate speech. And we shelved it. We went back and forth on whether to put it out there. On one hand, we don't want to give a platform to Ye's hate. And on the other hand, the more we researched, the more his story became about a lot of deeper, destructive parts of our culture. And for what it's worth, I think those are parts that we need to talk about. So if anything, hopefully these two episodes can do that. Hopefully they can provide guide rails to digest Ye and learn from his downfall. Well, anyway, that's a peek behind the curtain. So here it is, the making and unmaking of Ye, the artist formerly known as Kanye West. Roll the tape. Talent that hasn't been seen in hip-hop ever before. You can't retire a creative genius, man. You can't retire Steve Jobs. No figure in all of music history as controversial. And I, I can't listen to him anymore. One of the greatest artists of our age. I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. No one man should have all that power. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Today, it's Making Kanye. Mr. West has won 24 Grammys. He's been named one of the greatest songwriters of all time by Rolling Stone. But for every ounce of talent comes an ounce of wreckage. Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. Hear about slavery for 400 years. For 400 years? That sounds like a choice. What Kanye's doing has been incredible. The rap star lashing out, tweeting, I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I am going death con three on Jewish people. So how do you become one of the most notorious figures in pop culture history? How do you build a mountain and then tear it down? What in the world do we do about Kanye Omari West? When someone comes up and says something like, I am a god, everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was. A god. You have a favorite Kanye song or album? Ooh, um... Uh... Oh, shit. Uh... Yeah. Kanye West gets people talking. So I walked around Chicago with my producer to get some takes. College Dropout is always going to be a hit. College Dropout is my favorite album. Late Registration is like one of the best. I say hip-hop albums of all time. And I'm trying to make sure I say the name right. What's that? My Dark Twisted Fantasy. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yeah. College Dropout, duh. I feel like the College Dropout is probably the superior of all that, even though 
my dark, my, my what is it? Dark Twisted Fantasy. Mark, yeah, I couldn't think of the day. Yeah. Workout plan? Right off bat. It would have to be college dropout. For me, oh, Kanye's unmatched. So let me, let me make a correction. It's my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. I had to yes. look that up. All right, yes. that's my favorite album. His past couple albums have been terrible. Trash. They've been bad. And it's trash. Sta- it started for me. For me, it started with that Yeezus. I don't fuck with Kanye like that anymore. But I do love his earlier stuff. I guess I'm gonna be that person. I, I think he's a, someone who you can be a fan of the music, but then everything else is doesn't leave a good feeling in your stomach. That's for sure. I did really like a lot of his music. So if I hear it, I'm just like. That's a bummer. I used to love that song. Now it makes me upset. Has your relationship to Kanye West changed after all the controversies? Absolutely. I can't listen to him. I can't listen to his music no more. In this city, his music has a grip on people's minds. It's like they have this inescapable kinship with the artist, no matter how confusing or toxic that kinship is. And to me, it makes sense. I mean, his story started right here. In kindergarten, Kanye wrote poetry. In third grade, he started rapping. And then at 13, his mom, Donda West, paid $25 for studio time. Donda passed on a sample to a work friend, and the friend gave it to her son. She comes on like, hey, I got a friend. Can you help our son? I'm like, so crazy. That son was legendary music producer No ID, who at the time made beats for Common. Here's No ID in an interview on New York City's Hot 97. He's making like beats on his little computer. He don't really know what the sampling is about or whatever. So I just would just send him on missions like, look, man, here's, this is how you sample. Go, go do that and come back. And he just kept coming back. And around age 15, after much persistence, No ID became Kanye's mentor. Kanye started doing open mics. And landed his first production credits. We wanted to know what Kanye West was like at this age. So we got a few people together who could tell us. Fun fact, that pool table and Genius also operated as my bed. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's J.B. Marshall, Ye's first manager and A&R executive, he joined us with Cootie Simmons, Ye's childhood friend and creator of the Netflix documentary Genius, and Andrew Barber, founder of the legendary Chicago hip-hop blog Fake Shore Drive. JB talks about the first time he met Kanye. And we pull into this, like, sad parking lot, get out, go to the door, and he opens the door like, hey, yo, my name Kanye. And this big smile, he had braces. The first thing I observed walking into his house was about a four foot, maybe four and a half foot high stack of GQ magazines. (laughs) You know, he was talking about being the best dressed rapper then. It it really stuck out to me like, okay, yeah, this guy is maybe a little, (laughs) a little different, (laughs) but also he's driven. Kanye was just more gonna make it happen. He wasn't gonna not make it happen. You know what I mean? This is Cootie Simmons. He was you know, extra, because he was one of them people that I knew was going to win Grammys. You know what I'm saying? And stand out, you know, but they say, uh, JB, what's your, what's your uh, pastor name? Uh, pastor Brooks. Well, he said, 
You can't let your imagination get in the way of God's manifestation. So what I saw then, it was way greater. To Cootie, to Cootie point, I'll just interject. He wanted to be totally reflective and indicative of his name's meaning, the one. He wanted to be the one. Like, that was his drive. The only one. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> then, in his early 20s, young Kanye dropped his first studio album. Nah, it was not the college dropout. It was world record holders with a group called The Go-Getters. Somebody said Kanye ain't the best producer out of Chicago. <laughs> Let's go. Here's Chicago hip-hop journalist Andrew Barber. You know, that wasn't, it wasn't like a nationally released project. It was more of a uh, local thing. I, I don't think it really got much outside of Chicago. So a lot of those beats at that time were kind of in the vein of the bad boy hitmen or the stuff that Jermaine Dupri was doing. It sounded a lot like that, like a lot more jiggy sounding beats. And I think he really came to his own in the next couple of years. Kanye West used to come to parties that I did. Mm -hmm. This is Mustafa Rocks, the DJ who did Kanye's first mixtape with Through the Wire. During this time, how were people responding to Kanye West? They wasn't. They wasn't responding to him at all. They, he was just another guy at the party, and he was a producer, but didn't nobody really know him. But we were promoting him, John John. John John is John Monopoly, who back then was a promoter and manager. He managed Kanye along with many other Chicago stars. John John used to always have posters, T-shirts, everything to promote. This is before cell phones and, you know, Instagram and all that. So we had to put posters on the poles on the street. When we had to go on the west side, south side for the go-getters. Just to get the word out. Just to get the word out. Nobody knew who Kanye was. I was really kicking it. We was having a good time. We didn't know what we was doing. We was just like doing what we love to do. I was a DJ. He was a producer. So what was Kanye like as a producer back then? Oh, he was very dedicated. I must say, now thinking back at it, I remember going over his house one day and he had a full beard. He had an afro. He hadn't had a haircut in months. And he said he was not cutting his hair until he got a deal. <laughs> wow. And he sat in the house and just made beats all day long. After years of making beats, passing out CDs, and putting up posters, No ID made an introduction that changed Kanye's life. He met with Kiambo Hip Hop Joshua and Shalik Berry of Rockefeller Records. And hopefully he got a haircut before. We really don't know. Kanye played Berry this track. It was Hey Mama, later included on late registration, and Barry was sold. Kanye made the leap to New York City, and by 2000, he was signed to Rockefeller Records as a producer. Once he moved to New York, it was over with. Mm. You got to remember in Chicago, they only feel like you made it when other people talk about you. Mm. You feel me? Like yeah. 
when you become a celebrity and you all on TV and you got other celebrities talking about you, then Chicago is like, oh, he's a celebrity. But Kanye been a celebrity in his mind. You know what I mean? He's always been a celebrity. He always had what we call main character energy. Exactly. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the eighth wonder of the world. In New York City, Kanye hit Rockefeller running. He composed five out of 15 songs for Jay-Z's seminal album, The Blueprint, which is now preserved in the Library of Congress. Here's Andrew Barber again. You know, the blueprint, that's a, that really cemented him around that time. And that, that's when he kind of came into his own sound, where it really changed the sound of music. But he was just kind of warming up and getting ready. I think he was just trying to more fit in to, to get in the game. And then once he got a foot in the door, he was able to kind of be himself. People really do have to remember, like, it's not just that he wore the polos. It's like Kanye was signed to Rockefeller Records, right? And that was a label of hood dudes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like Cameron, Petey, Crack. This is Justin Charity, a cultural critic at The Ringer. And he breaks down for us what this Rockefeller move even means. Kanye West plants the seed for a critical part of his brand that he sticks to pretty much forever. His contrarianism. From the jump, he's countering the culture. If you look at the Rockefeller offices, it's like Petey Crack is walking around, right? <laughs> But then it's it's Kanye. Kanye walking around with his polos and his backpack and just, you know. Just sticking out like a sore thumb. Sore thumb. Like, he is representing this weird, at the time, genuinely captivating, abnormal sort of middle-class incursion into Rockefeller records, right? You know, the people who embrace Kanye as a countercultural figure, they're not wrong, right? It's totally always been a huge part of his appeal is that, is his willingness to zag when other people are zigging. And a young, driven, different Kanye wanted more. He wanted to be a rapper who produces, not a producer who raps. Here's Kanye on MTV's You Hear It First in 2002. Everybody look at it and say, yo, man, he crazy, man. He trying to rap, man. What's wrong? He's stupid. He's trying to rap. Yo, I, people just told me I was stupid for trying to rap. I was in those meetings that he was basically getting laughed out of publishing meetings. This is J.B. Marshall again. Honestly, Brandon, I, I was angry for him a lot of times. I'm I'm thinking of those emotions now that I felt um and and these guys talking talking about him like he not there not in a bad way but in a dismissive way and it's like yo you got beats yo you got beats uh and he like yo yeah you know I want to play some music and then they just so uh yo we going down to the bodega down, like ignoring them it was like yo so it was a it was He's built different. I have to give him that. Like, because to take all of that, that was mental anguish like no other. I think even the rejection was another level when he finally got his shot on a Jay-Z album on um, the Blueprint 2. And they didn't even list him as a feature. Andrew Barber. Everybody else was listed as a feature, but they didn't even put featuring Kanye West on there. He just had like eight bars at the end of uh, the song. That had to that had to have hurt at the time, right? I remember I was snapping in the time we was in the car, like, bro, how they didn't put you on the <laughs> bro, how how Jay and them do this, do that? He's like, uh, why would I look at it that way? I'm on Jay-Z album. 
Lucky for this young talent, Jay-Z planned to retire, and the pressure was on for Rockefeller co-founder Dame Dash to find the next great artist. After some reluctance, he signed 25-year-old Kanye West as a rapper. Here's Dame Dash on the podcast, All the Smoke. I didn't see that one coming towards. I thought he could make good beats, and I didn't see him as a rapper. I really still don't. I, I, I think he's the best producer that could rap. But as quickly as victory came, so did near tragedy. In October of 2002, Kanye West had a near-fatal car crash. His jaw was wired shut. The accident became a turning point for his rap career. I looked at this accident as God saying, I'm about to hand you the world. Just know at any given time, I could take it away from you. He came out with a track that solidified his talent to the world. Yo, Chief, they can't stop me from rapping, Kenny. Kenny, hot. He released Through the Wire on a 36-track mixtape called Get Well Soon, just two months after the accident. DJ Mustafa Rocks mixed the project. After he had the crash and he broke his jaw, Don and John Monopoly, they was... Uh, managing him at the time. And so he told Don, I want to turn this negative into something positive. Call Mustafa, have him, um, you know, do the mix or whatever. But here's the thing. He said, I want you to mix it how I want you to mix it, not the way you want to mix it. And then he said, don't add any sound effects. He said, don't put them, you know how they, the DJ, bah, 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 and all that. he's like, don't put none of that. It just had to be straight music. So they was like, well, how much you want to do it? And I was like, I don't want nothing. Just put me in the credits. I remember I used to live by uh, the shop called Tony Sports up north. Rest in peace to Tony. Andrew Barber again. I used to go in there and get mixtapes a lot, right? So to get well soon, I'm good mixtapes were in there. And, and they would be on the counter or whatever on, on the rack. And there would be a lot of them there. Like they weren't like flying off the shelves at the time. You could walk in off the street and get one. And I, I wouldn't say they were the hottest mixtapes at the time. The first time I saw Through the Wire on Rap City, for whatever reason, the video, the, just the, the feeling that it gave you when you saw it, it was like, it was heartfelt. It was so different than everything else at the time. Everything was just the perfect song and video for that moment. And you're like, how is Rockefeller not understanding that this guy, while he's different than everybody else, like there is a huge open lane for what he's doing. And when that video hit Rap City, I went into Tony Sports like a week or two later, those mixtapes were gone. You couldn't find those mixtapes anymore. And then everybody knows about Kanye after that. Steve Jobs always say that um, it's not about the product, it's about the story. Cootie Simmons made Kanye's Through the Wire music video. You know what I'm saying? The story sells, not the product. So when we when we did through the wire, that it was a story that we that we put out about uh, this kid who um who believed so much in himself that he was gonna make it happen, you know, no matter what. And in February 2004, this budding star dropped his debut masterpiece, The College Dropout. Oh yeah, I got the perfect song for the kids to sing, and all my people that's drug dealing just to get by. Well, ever since the album came out, my life has changed a lot. So The college dropout sold nearly half a million copies in the first week and debuted at number two on the U.S. Billboard 200. He rode the wave all the way to the 2004 Grammys, where he received 10 nominations and three wins, 
debuting on stage with Jesus Walks. And the Grammy goes to the college dropout, Kanye West. Everybody asked me the question. They wanted to know what kind. I knew he was going to roll out. I knew he was going to do something crazy. Everybody wanted to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Keep in mind, right, like I'm a kid when, when Jesus Walks comes out, right? Like I'm in high school, but I'm a pedantic kid. Here's Justin Charity from The Ringer. I'm also going through some stuff with God <laughs> at the time. It's like a lot <laughs> going on in my life. You're and trying Jesus, to figure out religion, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going through some stuff on my end too, right? Kanye makes his song, Jesus Walks, right? Second hit after Through the Wire. I mean, think about the concept of Jesus Walks, right? It's him making a song about how he's not allowed to make a song you know, about he's like, <laughs> I, they won't let you rap about Jesus. Meanwhile, you hear this song every 20 minutes on FM radio for half a year, and it helps turn him into a millionaire, right? Look, this song is cool, but the posture he's adopting on this song is ridiculous, right? It's, it is the classic, like, they won't let me say the thing that I am on every radio station in the country saying. Uh-huh. And to me, that's Kanye. I think that's always been the strange thing about Kanye. It feels kind of like his impulse to be a provocateur feels like it predates any of the actual convictions that get associated with his provocations, if that makes hmm. sense. right? It feels like he improvises the actual convictions on the fly after the fact. And that the only sort of fundamental thing in him is the desire to sort of get a rise out of people, right? Or to get get the people going, right? Get people talking about stuff. Because it doesn't really feel to me throughout his career like he came to rap with a set of convictions, right? It's It feels like he came to rap with a sense of provocation and then just mm. over the years kind of collected convictions that people handed to him or, or opportunities that he identified in the zeitgeist. I remember the first time I heard about Kanye West and I was so excited and I had just seen the cover of College Dropout and I didn't know how to pronounce his name and I rem- I'll never forget this. I ran to hang out with some friends and I was like, do y'all know about Kanye West? And everybody <laughs> busted out laughing. I was so embarrassed. All my friends were like, you mean Kanye? This is Jay Wortham. They're a culture writer for the New York Times Magazine and a co-host of the Times podcast, Still Processing. But yeah, you know, I think a lot about that album, College Dropout, and just it sounded incredible. The idea of being a college dropout was so radical to me as someone who has always been socialized and coached and sort of molded to be a very aspirational Black, you know, go to college, you do better than what came before you, you know, you lift others up, just this kind of forward momentum. The Hillman College generation. Exactly, right? We were indoctrinated. And here comes this man talking about, I'm a college dropout. I promise she's so self-conscious. She has no idea what she's doing in college. This is young Kanye West's spoken word poem titled Self-Conscious. You may recognize it from the debut album. That major that she majored in don't make no money. Told me she majored in TV. (laughs) But she won't drop out of parents to look at her funny. But, you know, for me, it wasn't just this idea of dropping out of school. It was 
dropping out of a way of thinking, dropping out of a way of ascribing towards whiteness and upward mobility as expansive futurity, you know? Like it had so much potential, just that seed of that idea in the beginning. Nah, tell me that ain't insecure. The concept of school seems so secure. <laughs> Sophomore three years ain't picked the career. She said, fuck it, I'll just stay down here and do hair Cause that's enough money to buy her a few hairs and new hairs Cause her baby daddy don't really care She's so precious with the peer pressure Couldn't afford a car, so she named her daughter Alexis After the break, the rise of Kanye West, the provocateur she be dealing with some issues that you can't believe Single black female addicted to retail as well About a year after Kanye West hits national recognition, the country is hit by one of the deadliest storms in history. A monster Category 3 storm and possibly taking aim at southeast Louisiana. Hurricane Katrina continues to move west. The people of our city are holding on by a threat. Time has run out, the mayor says. Can we survive another night? Who can we depend on? Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans in August of 2005. It killed an estimated 1,800 people. Millions were displaced. And I've come down here, one, to take a look at the damage firsthand. And I'm telling you, it's, a, it's just worse than imaginable. Don't tell me 40,000 people are coming here. They're not here. Now get off your and let's do something. And let's fix the biggest crisis in the history of this country. All eyes were on New Orleans, but especially all eyes were taking in the devastation in Louisiana's black community. With the breach of three levees protecting New Orleans, the land... And during this time, NBC decides to organize a celebrity benefit concert for the American Red Cross, airing across all major networks. Comedian and actor Mike Myers was paired up with Kanye. I hate the way they portray us in the media. If you see a black family, it says they're looting. see a white family, it says they're looking for food. At this moment, Kanye West decided to go off script. And so he said, George Bush doesn't care about black people. Please call. In the past few days, America and people have been stepping up, have been stepping up to donate money, to do all they can to help people in New Orleans. And all- Kanye West, the provocateur, is born. There was this sense of Kanye as a, you know, cultural renegade, someone who is a disruptor, who's willing to go off script in the sake of saying something that no one else wants to say. And it was really energizing, at least that Katrina moment. I mean, it was, you know, I saw that live. Jay Wortham from The New York Times. I I felt like, I mean, I get emotional thinking about it because he was just willing to say the thing that was so apparent. And it's not even just George W. Bush doesn't care about Black people. It's just like America, the world, just to see that much like organized abandonment and neglect and and 
these celebrities being asked to go on TV to prop up federal aid that's not doing shit. And Kanye is just like, no, here's what I see. Now, this moment 18 years ago was the first time the public got a glimpse of the Kanye West we know today. And mind you, it was different back then. He's advocating for an underclass, but he's wildly off script for the first time in a long career of being wildly off script. People have to remember Kanye was at a totally different phase in his career. And frankly, you go back and watch the footage of that telethon, right? And you remember also just like what the political vibe was around the time of Hurricane Katrina. If you go back and look in the in the eyes of Mike Myers, Kanye West, and Chris Tucker, even if Kanye is a provocateur, like in that moment, yeah, I still believe Kanye was distressed. Kanye was mad. And I I don't think Kanye went into that with like, ooh, I'm going to go in. I'm going to say this provocative thing. Like Kanye was still at a point in his career where he was Kanye West, but he was still a version of Kanye West that if he crossed lines, like he could have just been wiped off the face of the earth for real. Right. Absolutely. Like he was still in a precarious position in, in his career. He wasn't untouchable. He risked something with that statement. Yeah, like Kanye actually did go out on a limb in that moment. And I do buy the idea that he on live television really was just kind of wrestling with like a frustration. Like he did feel like this very raw conduit for the raw nerve that a lot of people had open right during Katrina. So I I remember this time at this point, I was a I was a Kanye. I guess you could say Kanye Stan. And. Almost like the way we view LeBron James. Great on the court, but impactful off the court. This moment, I feel like, for Kanye West was where people who were fans of him and they were looking for more reasons to be fans, more reasons to see him as bigger than just the music itself. This was that moment because it aligned politically with the frustrations a lot of people had with the Bush administration and how they, they handled Katrina. What do you think about that? Did he become more of this kind of activist figure in that moment? I definitely, yeah, I definitely believe that. Because even me, right, is if I think back to how I thought about Kanye in college after I just remember watching that, that telethon in real time, right? And yeah, I kind of did feel this sense, even after being frustrated by some bits of dropout and late registration, feeling this sense of, man, respect. You know what I mean? Like, respect. And I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. People already want music to make them feel something real. They don't want music to just be music, right? And Kanye elevated it beyond even just sort of the base magical power of music to make it feel like, yeah, Kanye West is this guy who stands for something, right? Oh, boy. When he did the thing on the um, telethon and he said, George Bush don't like black people, I said, oh, boy, here we go. Here we go. That's Mustafa Rocks again. I said, Kanye is about to stir the pot. I don't know why he did this. I mean, it's true, but, you know, for him to do that, I was like, Kanye is on another level. He's like Kanye the Black Panther now. You know what I mean? Then I think that's when he finally got that, like, if I do some wild stuff, everybody will be talking about it. You know what I mean? Because my mom always called me like, why is Kanye doing that? Why? I said, Ma, don't pay attention to Kanye. I said, because he'll do something and everybody be talking about him and then he'll drop an album. And, you know, for what it's worth, like what Justin Charity said, 
Kanye hasn't exactly reached icon status at this point, right? He's top charts and won Grammys, but he's not playing at stadiums. He's doing theaters and college campuses. You know, this is so big for hip hop. To come out here and just do this music like this and to have all y'all receive this, it just gives me more inspiration to go back into the studio and keep making hits. At this point, the ball is rolling, but it has ways to go. And Kanye West once again wants to climb higher. He goes on tour with U2 and becomes fixated on reaching what he called stadium status. His next album would be the last installment to his education trilogy, but it needed a new sound and look. Less chipmunk soul, more anthems. Like we always do with this time, the go for mine, I to shine, now throw your hands up in the sky. He's listening to The Killers, Modest Mouse, and Keen for inspiration, and he's diving deep into electronica. Although when producer A-Track sent him a Daft Punk sample, he'd never even heard of the duo. By the time the album was set, rap giant 50 Cent announced a coinciding release date. They went head-to-head, and the competition led to massive publicity. It's just real good for hip-hop. I think we're really pushing each other, you know. If 50 wasn't dropping that day, I wouldn't have went so hard on my album. If I wasn't dropping, he wouldn't have went so hard. Uh, 50 Cent has been quoted as saying that if your album should outsell his, he will never make another album ever again. Have you heard him? I really like 50. I don't want him to retire once my album sells the most. I just want him to... Kanye won out. Graduation sold nearly a million copies in the first week. 50 cents only sold 690,000. And the feud was a pivotal moment for hip-hop because it pitted more traditional gangster rap against Kanye's more futuristic bars. I, I think that's, a, to me, the, the, the defining moment when he goes from, like, you know, I am the biggest rapper, or one of the biggest rappers in the world, to I am now a pop star. I am one of the most famous artists in the world. I have transcended you know, whatever box you can put me in. This is Fake Shore Drive's Andrew Barber again. I think he went for a bigger sound. You know, he had been traveling the world. He got a glimpse into see, you know, how these maybe EDM groups or dance music groups are doing these huge festivals overseas. So he's going around the world seeing this stuff. And he's kind of like, okay, how can I incorporate this into my music? And he, he, he went from the more soul sample type of stuff to, okay, this is a sound that, will transcend and go all over the world. And, you know, that's one of those things I never thought 50 Cent was even going to come close. I'm like, there's no way he's going to touch Kanye. This is Kanye's absolute moment. He just had everything together at that point. He had his image down. He had the music down. And it just, it, it, it went to the next level. And, and obviously it's never, never slowed down since. Man, that 50 Cent battle. I'm, ne- I'm never going to forget that. I was in high school I had a MySpace note that I'd wrote that you could say went viral because it was very spicy. I was very spicy about the whole thing. I was pro Kanye all the way, and he came out on top there. A question for you, Andrew. Is it fair to say that Kanye West kind of, I mean, kill is a strong word, but did he end gangster rap? Did he kind of diminish its impact in a way after that sales battle? No, you know, I think there's been a lot of articles and people who said it killed gangster. I mean, I don't think it, it definitely didn't kill gangster rap. 
or whatever you want to call that. I mean, obviously that type of music is still made to this day and still, you know, very popular. But what it did was, I think it allowed more artists to kind of be themselves and, and not, not to say Kanye's an everyman, but kind of be yourself and not be scared to wear what you want or say what you want or make this kind of music. I think he opened up the lane for that, for that type of, you know, artist and that type of artistry. Um, and it didn't have to be the, the tough guy exterior. You could kind of be vulnerable and be yourself. And I think it just made it more acceptable for, you know, the artists that came after him to do that. He calls me at eight, probably around nine o'clock a.m. J.B. Marshall again, Kanye's first manager. Kanye just got invited to do a massive tour with Jay-Z and he needed some advice. I like, well, man, that's I mean, I mean, that's that's cool. If that's what you want to do. And he's like, nah, man, go on, you JB, don't lie. Tell me the truth. Like, well, what you think? I like, well, I thought you was going for the top spot. So why would you? Ah, oh, see, that's why I called you. That's why I called you. Because <laughs> when I go in towns, I want them saying you got them yay tickets. I don't want them saying you got them J tickets. <laughs> I was like, he called me back a week later. Literally a week later, you see, it was like 3 a.m. though. He's like, yo, uh, I'm like, yo, I'm hitting you in the morning. Like, no, nah, no, nah, I just want to tell you, man, I did the real. I'm like, what you do? He's like, glow in the dark. I was like, what's that? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> I, he's like, man, me, I already talked to Pharrell. Da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, what happened to the J? I was like, no, nah, man, I couldn't do that after I called. And I got to fly you out. It was actually the first time he paid for my flights outside of us <laughs> working together. <laughs> so, so it was like, I had to fly you out. Da, da. And so the first show was what? In Seattle, I believe. And he was just all walking around telling all the studio here, like, JB the one made me not do the Jay-Z tour. And after graduation, Kanye West hit stadium status with the Glow in the Dark tour. He had openers like Lupe Fiasco and Rihanna. And by the end of 2008, the Glow in the Dark tour became the third highest grossing rap tour ever. Kanye is this unstoppable star who seemed like he could do no wrong. But things were about to change. Coming up on Making Kanye. The unmaking of Kanye West. From my perspective, you know what I mean? It was a, a bittersweet because we lost Mama West at that time. And what Kanye's doing has been incredible. All over the world they're talking about this. And I have to tell you, I had important meetings today with senators and with everything. Nobody cared. They wanted this meeting. I can't listen to him. I can't listen to him. He just went too far in the deep end. The whole Trump stuff and anti-Semitic stuff and... Black people chose slavery as an option, was an option or some shit like I mean, you randomly hear stuff about Kanye West, it's kind of like, come on, bro. There's been at least 30 to 40 anti-Semitic incidents, attacks, vandalism, graffiti that have been directly connected uh, to Kanye West uh, since, since October. But you know, the truth of that is though, people don't see white supremacy as a threat because even though Kanye is black, he is practicing and he's working with age old tools of white terrorism. I think what I'm just trying to say is it's so much bigger than Kanye.
Now that you've heard about the rise of Kanye, you're going to want to listen to how it all fell apart. Hear the second part of this story by finding Making from WBEZ Chicago wherever you're listening to this show right now. And follow Making to hear the origin story of a different black iconic figure every other week as we explore the lives of Shonda Rhimes, Jordan Peele, Spike Lee, and more.